Bring it in. Read option episode number 80 coming up on our one year anniversary and there were some playoffs this weekend, ladies and gentlemen. There was some NFL playoffs. Disappointing super super wild card weekend, some might say, but playoff football Not me. <laughs> still still means something. Uh that is Scotty Miller and we have the whole crew back together for the first time probably in in a couple months. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, at least, like, I know there's there were a couple of Tuesday pods we did and with everybody, but definitely our Friday pods have not uh, have not been around. So it's cool to have everyone back together and uh, to go through each of these games. We're gonna just basically a whole pod layout for you guys. First of all, apologies for the late day. Uh, we wanted to make sure that we got Monday night's results in, so we decided we'll do Tuesday night to record. So Wednesday, Friday pod this week. Um, and uh, before we get into uh, the game specifically, how was uh, both of y'all's wild card weekend? Did you got any, either guys do anything fun, or was it just like, hey, we're just going to sit on the couch and watch football all weekend? Nope. <laughs> just I, sat in front of the TV and then, you know, had to plow snow after that. So I was good. <laughs> yeah, I was actually uh, I was down your guys' way a little further, Jeff. I was down by your old alma mater. I was down by JMU, uh, Mass Nutton. I think is the mountain. Oh wow, you went down to Mass Nutton. So I was there Saturday. Um, went late Friday, uh, skied Saturday. Uh, watched the. We went out first thing in the morning so that I would be tired and exhausted by four thirty. So I get home for the playoff games. So watched and and uh, the night game. You know, it's weird on a Saturday because there are two games, right? But again, after you're up all day and doing stuff. That game, especially with the way the sun is right now, setting pretty early, it definitely felt like a night game. I was like, oh, my God, we have another game after this. And thank God that was a blowout. We Again, we had some blowouts here. So a um, couple of good games, a couple blowouts. But overall, did that and came home and, and then just hung out on the couch and uh, and watched on Sunday and, and Monday. But, yeah, man, it was, it was either a pretty good game or it was, you know, uh, I would say – not interesting and like not even competitive in some of these. How was your weekend? Yeah. Well, first of all, I'm stoked that you went down to Massanutten. I would have told you places to go. You got to, you got to let me know if you ever down in that area, man. Because Massanutten is it's a stone throw away from JMU. Like you see the mountain on campus all the time. Basically, anywhere you're walking on campus, you can see the mountain. Uh, I, I've spent a bunch tunnel. of time up near that. Yeah, except for the time. Um, but I spent a bunch of time like up in that area. I used to lifeguard and, and manage a pool that was right at the base of it that had this unbelievable view of the mountain. Um, but I hope uh, the folks in Harrisonburg treated you well and you had a good time. That's that's oh, yeah. great to hear. Uh, I, I, like you, Scotty, did a whole lot of nothing. Uh, ass was sat on the uh, on the couch and watched football. I worked our like super early show on Friday. So I had what kind of felt like a long weekend because I was like done work at like 1030 in the morning. So I went and tested out my new my new irons, which was great. I uh, got a new set of irons for Christmas. As you know, I'm a big golf guy. So uh, getting the chance to go out and, uh, and swing the wrenches. Shout out to Tom and Vicky for uh, for the hookup. Got a chance to feel them out, which is good. Golf game's going to be better than ever this year. And then, yeah, Friday night didn't do many things. Saturday sat around, watched football. Sunday did the same damn thing. Uh, licked my wounds after the Eagles got just absolutely smashed by the Tampa Bay Bucks, and we'll get into that game 
Uh, but you're right, Vito. You, you're exactly right. There, even the game that was close uh, on Saturday, the Bengals Raiders game, it never once felt close until you got down to the fourth quarter. And, and all of a sudden, there was a couple of plays there at the end that maybe like it was crazy that the Raiders ended up being one score away from you know tying that game and potentially yeah. with a chance to win it. Um, but I mean, out of all the rookie quarterbacks, everyone who started their first playoff games, there was only one who won and there was only one who looked even remotely comfortable in that game. Uh, and that was Joe Burrow. And, um, but other than that, I mean, it was blowouts, even Monday night, Monday night sucked. That was a terrible, terrible football game on Monday night. And, and your Niners credit to them for pulling off a way to win that game, Scotty, but that wasn't a good game either. Like, yeah. And that was completely one-sided in the first half, honestly, for the first three quarters before the Cowboys really made it interesting. And, and mm-hmm. we'll get into the end of that game and um, the, the miscue there by Dak and Mike McCarthy, which if you've listened to this pod all year, I've been saying it since the preseason, that especially early on when we realized how good the Cowboys offense could be, I said it doesn't matter how talented they are because Mike McCarthy was going to find a way to fuck up that game in the end. And, and he had some help in doing so <laughs> courtesy of Dak Prescott. So we'll get into all of that, but we're going to run chronologically here, seeing as we have some time removed from these games, been able to kind of look at some of the bigger picture stuff here as well. Bengals Raiders. We're going to start with the winners, the Cincinnati Bengals uh, unbelievable season. First playoff win in 31 years. Obviously the, the thing going around Twitter and social media was that no one had ever sent a text saying that the Cincinnati Bengals have won a playoff game uh, because I believe the first text message ever sent was like in 1992. Yep. And this was, that, that was the year before uh, this last time Bengals won was the year before there was also the Bo Jackson curse, which I, which was a, a little known yes. NFL curse yes. that in 1991, the Bengals beat the Raiders and Bo Jackson had his catastrophic hip injury that completely changed mm. his career in that game and the Bengals had never won a playoff game since. So it was fitting that they were able to break the curse against the Raiders in this game. Uh, And and this game comes down to really one guy, one dude, and that is Joe Burrow. Uh, The officiating became the storyline afterwards. And we can get into that. Uh, Jerome Boger is no longer him and his crew, no longer calling any playoff games. Uh, The NFL officiating has been dog shit of late, but, I don't want any of that to take away from how incredible Joe Burrow was and and how comfortable he looked in the moment. And we've talked about it for a long time, guys, but the moxie, the balls, the way he carries himself, uh, he's, he's trying to make a statement here. That's like, yeah, you know, talk about Tua, talk about Justin Herbert and how flashy he is. I went number one for a reason. Yeah. Well, even like the play you alluded to Jeff, what that got blown, the whistle blown in the middle of the play uh, and resulted in a touchdown. Uh, for the Bengals, even that play was like super, you know, athletic, uh, fun to watch. Like, just like you, I came away from that play saying, holy shit, how did you make that throw and, and then have it get completed? Um, but even just the, the ability that to, to make that play happen. And that's what Joe Burrow does for your football team. Uh, beyond that, he does everything else, right? He's so cerebral. He makes the right play every time it, you saw it all game long from him and and he's the real reason the chemistry that him and Jamar Chase have right now is nothing short of of just uh jaw dropping yeah it, it really reminds you of an old like, yeah like a combo with like the early side of Peyton Manning Marvin Harrison right like it was Montana just like, to rice 
Well, it, it just looking at them, you know, like, oh man, these guys, not only are they both young, they're going to be around for a long time and they have something. They're both special players in their own right. But thankfully, we're going to see their talent flourish together. For, for the other thing about Joe Burrow that impressed me, and, and I don't know if this is the, the what happens in the playoffs, right? When you stop watching Red Zone and you can see a full game, there, there's an effect it has on you, right? A little bit for those of us Red Zone washers. But one thing I really noticed about Joe Burrow, a lot of his throws were on time. And what I mean, like he, three-step drop, it's out. Five-step drop, it's out. And even if it's not, like he rolls out quick and checks one thing, and if not, throws it out of bounds. Like he, he was on schedule a lot. And against a Raiders defense that has played pretty well this season, right? Their offense really carried them, but they haven't had the worst defense out there. But it, it was without a doubt impressive to see a quarterback drop back, read, make a decision, go with it and just have that, that momentum build, right? He looked almost robotic in in a great way out there. Um, Systematic, you know, it was just like, it was just one thing after another. And there's two things I want to bring up there, you know, because it's a great point. Number one, Joe Burrow, that his biggest problem is he's got a little bit of that Carson Wentz in him, right? Where he wants Mm -hmm. to play hero ball. He wants to hold on to the ball. And that's when he's gotten in trouble. It's when he's taken sacks. It's how he got hurt, right? Last year with the ACL, it's those types of things when he's holding on to the ball too long that he tends to make too many mistakes. But it's also what he did on the touchdown pass, right? The controversial touchdown pass was him yep. making a play. So balancing that, when he did extend plays, he made sure not to make mistakes, not to you know take a bad sack, to get the ball out of bounds if nobody's there, but to make sure that the, the main um, – the main objective for him was staying on rhythm, right? Staying in time. And that, that is a huge sign for Cincinnati that you're getting this kind of perfectly balanced version of the guy who can stay on time, who is very smart and cerebral and and is able to read defenses and get the ball out when he needs to, but can also make plays, right? Make off schedule plays. And and the best quarterbacks are especially in the modern NFL are guys that can do both, right? right? Russell, Russell Wilson is really the first one to do that where he was a guy where, Hey, he can burn you with his legs, but he's also just as comfortable, you know, dishing it out of the pocket. And the other big thing that that I want to add to what you were saying there, Vito, is that the one aspect of that Raiders defense that scares you is the defensive line. It's Max Crosby and Yannick Ngakwe, who uh, Crosby and, and, and Ngakwe, who, I mean, Max Crosby led the league in pressures this year. He got, <laughs> I think he had 88 quarterback pressures this season, which is just an absurd number. So you're going against guys who are going to make your life uncomfortable. So it was definitely a part of the game plan to get the ball out quick and to not make too many superhero plays. And he did so beautifully and, and having Jamar chase and the way they were able to kind of do that. And I'll add this on top of it. They got handed a pretty favorable side of the bracket, right? The fact that they win and the way that the, the AFC, all the home teams, all the favorites win. Well, now we got Buffalo and Kansas city, which there's a legitimate argument are the two best teams in the AFC and not to say Tennessee is not going to be a challenge, especially with what seems to be Derrick Henry coming back. You would much rather play Tennessee than play Kansas city and Kansas city or Buffalo and Buffalo. Yeah. I, I think there's something to that. And I think there's also a great point about not only the bracket, I think the way that this team matches up with people is really unique. Like playoffs are all about matchups. It's just like if you watch basketball or or whatever sport, right? When you get to down the line, it's all about matchups, even baseball, your hitters versus the pitching and all that stuff. 
when the Bengals line up against you, they, they listen, they haven't run the ball extremely well, but they stick with it. Even in this game, I mean, you had Joe Mixon, I think he averaged like less than three yards a carry, but he ran it 17 times. And then they got eight handoffs off to other players, like, you know, including Burrow running. But like that, that's how you get it going and, and you make sure you keep it on the ground. And that's hard to defend. And so I think when you line up against this team, take any of those teams, even Tennessee, you have to play a sound defense. It's not like Buffalo where the only running is from their quarterback. Right. And, and so there's a lot of unique challenges um, with defending a team that kind of lines up in the same way and runs plays out of different formations. Right. It's not like every time we're in shotgun, we're throwing and every time we're in the I formation, we're running. That's not the Bengals. So it's really a more of a challenge and I'm excited to see how they match up with a Tennessee and, and potentially one of those other teams, but man, they, they have a good team. And obviously, like you said, if their quarterback, Joe Burrow can get it out quickly. You're saying on schedule is great. I think when he has to extend it, if he gets miraculous touchdowns, like he's been doing, you have a chance to go very far in the playoffs. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree. I, the balance of that offense is, is impressive, right? Like, I, and I love your point too, because when, and, and this is what happens, right? And, and the proof can be in the statistics sometimes. I don't live in a world where you only look at stats, but you have to use it to add, con- you have to add context and, and kind of think about how that actually translates to a football field. And the perfect example is you have a 4,000 yard quarterback, 1,000 yard rusher who finished third in overall rushing yards this season. And you have two wide receivers, both of which you go over 1,000 yards. That is the definition of balance. <laughs> And, and one that was like 125 yards short of it. Yeah. Tyler Boyd. <laughs> Tyler Boyd as your slot receiver. And they have a good tight end. Like, I think Uzama is a great tight end to have. Is he, you know, Kelsey or, or Mark Andrews or any of those guys? No. But is he more like a Brent Selleck type, a guy who's going to make big catches and can be relied upon? Like, absolutely. And I matching up with a team like Tennessee, who we've seen Tennessee be had. And, and the other side of Cincinnati and on the defensive side, I was really impressed. They handled a really good offense, an offense that can be explosive at times, an offense yeah. that we've seen put up big numbers this year, and they held them to 19 points, you know, and they forced Derek Carr to almost 50% passing, uh, who, who this year, his ability to get the ball out on time has been one of his biggest strengths. Yeah, uh, I, and it, to me, it looked like they – for better or worse they could not at all get their run game going uh i mean they were just pounding josh jay uh and they had some success a little bit out of the backfield catching the ball but like you know when when you have when you have darren waller over the middle like it it, it reminds me a lot of like the 49 most of the year until Debo kind of exploded and and a really great tight end. <clears throat> and you need to lean on that to, to be able to open up some of the deeper passing game that that has been the success of, of uh, Derek Carr and the, and the Raiders offense uh, and credit to Cincinnati's defense and on in all three phases of their defense, uh, you know, on the line, they, they overpowered the, the Raiders offensive line on, on the linebackers did a great job of uh, for the most part of covering Waller. Uh, despite seven catches and 76 yards. I mean, he he was a relative non-factor in, for most of the game until the, the middle of the fourth quarter. And then, you know, the the secondary, you know, shutting down the most of the receiving game uh, for the Raiders and not allowing Derek Carr to to take that deep shot. So 
I mean, I, it was it was just a masterful performance by the by the defense there for most of the game, I should say. Yeah, and the last thing I'll add on, on this game before we talk about the Raiders is just the officiating thing. I get why people like freak out about it because that's what everybody does. There's one call, and then we immediately all react on Twitter, and everyone freaks out like, "Oh my god, this is you know." Do I think it affected the play and like the ultimate outcome? I don't think it did, but there was enough of a let up by guys in the secondary in the back of the end zone that I can get the gripe. But the bottom line is, is, is that's the end of the first half. And this was still one possession game and the Raiders didn't play great football, you know, altogether. And if you're a Raiders fan and you want to blame that as the outcome, I, I think you're doing a disservice to yourself as a fan. And, and you're using that as a coping mechanism because it's just not – it's not the reality. The reality is your, your team lost and and was not the better team for the full 60 minutes. And unfortunately for the Raiders, you play the full 60 minutes. Now, where do they go from here, right? They move on from their GM, Mike Mayock, and so they have a potential head coach. They're going to interview a couple other people aside from Bisaccia. And from what we've heard from guys in that locker room – it sounds like they want Rich Bisaccia, Bisaccia to, to stay. They want him to be the guy. Obviously, you need to bring in a new GM. But when you're setting up an organization, I almost think you, you're better off having your quarterback or your, your, your GM, your, your head coach, and your quarterback all kind of be in line, right, at some point. Like, if you can get a new head coach while you have a young quarterback and, and you're building around that, like what Chicago is looking at right now. They're going to have a new GM, they're going to have a new head coach, and they have a new young quarterback. So you want your head coach and your GM to come in and work together at the same time to help mold what you're going to do with this young talent. Same thing in Jacksonville. Uh, well, Jacksonville's actually kept their GM. But you get the point. And mm-hmm. The weird thing about the Raiders is they have a, an established quarterback who on an open market could fetch a lot of money and potentially a lot of prospects back. You have a head coach, kind of. You've had this interim guy who led you to the playoff, who the team yeah. loves and is rallied behind, but isn't the guy that your front office picked. And now you're going to have a new front office. So if you're the guy coming into that GM job, do you want to rely on the guy that the team seems to have rallied around? Do you believe that Passaccia is going to be the guy for the long term? Do you believe Derek Carr is going to be the guy for the long term? Or do you clean house and say, we're going to get a new GM, we're going to trade Derek Carr, we're going to get a new head coach, and we're all going to come in and, and build this thing up? in a post-John Gruden world? Um, personally, I think when you have a quarterback like Derek Carr is playing like he had this past season, I th- you got to stay with him. I mean, it's so hard to find a quarterback, right? I, I think there's a really attractive um, idea that you're saying you reset it all. Let's get these three in line. Let's do this. But it could really set you back a couple of years. Um, and we've seen people how we saw the Browns try and fight a quarterback for 20 years, right? Like it's no guarantee that you're going to find that guy because you get a lot of draft picks. So in my opinion, I think you do that. And even at a coach, like who are you going to hire right now? That's better. Get, all right. Yeah. Doug Peterson has a super bowl, uh, you know, win under his belt, but there aren't that many great candidates either. Um, now having Derek Carr, I think makes it even a more attractive job sometimes just to actually have that guy. But I don't know, man, it's tough. I, I think, it's really tough when you have a guy who took your team to the playoffs after everything that the Raiders organization went through to just move on. It's tough, but a new GM can easily do that. Right. I think if the, they still had the same GM and everything, I think there's a great shot. He stays. Um, but that, that's just my take. 
Yeah, but like four years down the line, say you signed Basaccio for four or five years, right? Mm-hmm. And you're hanging on to that. Oh, well, he took us to the playoffs uh, in 2021. Um, and say you go to the playoffs one out of those next four or five years. Then, then what's your argument? Well, I think, you, well, Scott, at that point, you're going to fire him. Like if, if think about coaching now, I don't care if it's a four-year deal. I don't care. It's year by year people. If, if he's doing poorly next year and they get off to like a very bad start, um, you know, we'll see what happens, but I think they would fire him that. But the point is, is what's his, what's his record even as a head coach? Basaccia? Yeah. 10 and um, seven. Oh no. That was, well, their I mean, Gruden mm-hmm. got fired after week four, I believe. Four? Week Something three like or week four. And they had a so, good record to start. Yeah. I, I, I don't know exactly when it when he took over. Uh, I don't have that number up in front of me, but I'll pull it up. Assuming it was in that week four, week five range, and he's probably, you know, a game or two above 500. I mean, the actually, it might have been even a little bit later than that because they started off three and oh, they dropped two to the Chargers and the Bears. I think the Broncos game was the first game that they played with Bisaccia. Seven and five. Yeah, seven and five. So, so you know, I mean, that's that's uh, that's not bad. I mean, I, I don't know. I I think if the players love them, you already have the system there. It's also just as a GM, you need to look with what the Raiders produced on the field. Is that enough? Is that good enough? And I think with how close that game was, and how honestly poorly the Raiders played in this playoff game, I think you look at this and be like, hey, we could have won this. Um, that's that's not easy to do as a fan. You just want the win. But as a GM, you need to evaluate right. Like if if that was only to 20% or to, to 50% of our ability. And normally we're getting 75, this coaching is 75 or 80%. Do you stick with them? It's a really tough point, Jeff. What, what do you, what would you do? So I look at it like I had, like I have the angel and the devil on my shoulders, right? <laughs> the angel is telling me, Hey, like Bisaccia got you the playoffs. He got you your whole organization over one of the hardest years off the field. We've seen an organization go through in a while, uh, you have a good quarterback and you bring in the GM and, and he has a great relationship with Basaccia and, and next thing you know, boom, you know, you're back here next year in the playoffs, you know, trying to fight and win games. The other side of me is saying, well, that GM would probably consider taking that job in part because he knows it'll buy him a couple extra years, right? If you're the GM, it's not your head coach. It's not your quarterback. You can cut for those guys and say, nope, we're going we're gonna to hit the restart button in a couple of years because that's so much of what executives in, in pro sports are doing. They're looking to prolong the inevitable, right? You, you get hired and you get fired as head coaches and as GMs. That's, that's the two options you have, mm-hmm. right? You can count on like two hands the amount of head coaches that are able to just walk away under their own volition because they're ready to go. You get hired, you get fired, and that is the industry. So if a GM comes in thinking I can get two more years out of this job by signing on with Bisaccia and, and signing on to Derek Carr, knowing that realistically, if you ask yourself the question, can the Raiders win a Super Bowl with those two guys? Maybe Bisaccia, but I think we've seen enough from Derek Carr and probably not. And if I'm a GM, I want to be able to come in and, and run the show. You know, I if you're putting me in charge of the organization, I want say in who the head coach is and I want saying who the quarterback is and so that devil on my shoulder is kind of saying clean house reset you know you can Derek Carr is right now played on this year in one of the most friendly when you value production versus cost arguably the most friendly contract in the NFL for a quarterback for the amount of production and the amount of wins that they got for him 
He's going to ask for more money this offseason. And so you're going to have to make a decision. Do you sign up for more money with Derek Carr, knowing what you have? And then all of a sudden, all of these advantages you had because of his team-friendly contract is going to go out the door. Or do you trade him when his values at its absolute peak? You can get some good assets to come in. Use that to kind of help rebuild. Great call. Yeah. And, and if you have, if you want to stick with Basicia, then you can. But I think it's it's a hard. It's like you said. Like that's part of why I asked the question. It's a really hard question to ask, and you, and the Eagles are in a similar boat too. Do you hit the ejection button and you reset and you you know you trade or, or or do you go out and you use assets because you think your team can win now? Like these these organizational structural conversations are having are being had with multiple teams around the league. The Broncos are another one as well. And I think if you are the Raiders, if you really believe in Basaccia, you, you hire him on, you trade away Derek Carr and you let your GM and, and, and Basaccia build something new. But I don't see that combination of things working out. I think you either stay all in with both guys or you clean house entirely and start over. And the one name that has been brought up with this job that I think could sway Mark Davis is Jim Harbaugh. Yep. He is a splash hire, classic Mark Davis move. It it would be a very Mark. If you can't get John Gruden, who's the closest thing to John Gruden, right? As an available head coach, (laughs) it's, it's, it's Jim Harbaugh. Um, And so I think a lot of it's going to come down to whether he's willing to leave Michigan, if he's going to take that job, if he interviews for it. Uh, I think they're in as tough of spot because I just don't see a world where Derek Carr and Riz Bisaccia are, are winning a Super Bowl. But maybe that's not the goal. Maybe the goal is just to get better and you can get better next year with, with Carr and Bisaccia, and that's where you move. So um, they're definitely one of the teams to keep an eye on because the talent is there for them to be a playoff team. But is it enough knowing that you have Patrick Mahomes and you have Justin Herbert in your division for the next 10 years? Is that going to be enough to say, hey, let's just keep riding with this? I don't know. I, I think a reset might be might be the smart move for them. Um the other game we had on Saturday was Patriots-Bills, in which we saw Josh Allen basically have the perfect football game. Uh, some of the stats that have come out, I don't need to necessarily repeat them all because I'm sure you all have heard them, but, I mean, more touchdowns than incompletions. Uh, like, everything about what he did was beyond, like, anything I've seen, especially in that weather at two degrees in, yeah. in Orchard Park, New York. Uh, the Bills showed up to play and and put on a show that I don't think I thought I would see this year based off of everything else we've seen. It's the first time they looked that good since they had the two shutouts in the first four weeks of the season. And for them to do it against the Patriots, there, you know, there could be an argument. Is this a little bit like Michigan and Ohio State where they had their emotional dominant win early and then next round they don't quite show up? I don't know. I don't, I don't think that's going to be the case, but I think it's worth a question. Uh, what did you make? Josh Allen's been your guy for a long time, Vito. It's been two years that you've been on the, you know, the Josh Allen hype train. He was yeah. your MVP pick last year. I believe he was again this year. So what, what did you make of the Bills and uh, absolute dominance in the uh, AFC East matchup in the wild card? What I love seeing is this is their team at their full potential when they have designed runs for him often, right? He ran the ball, especially in the first two, three series there. Like he was, he was getting every yard of that offense, throwing and running, right? 
Um, he, he was all over the field and I love seeing that. I, I think this is again, like the ultimate version of this offense. Um, and it's only something you're going to see in the playoffs because it's a quarterback running. We're just not going to see this called in week five, even if it's a big game. So, uh, you know, this is going to be, in my opinion, hopefully more to come. Like this is what we should expect from the offensive side and on the defense. I mean, talk about underappreciated even by me. I mean, I think a lot of people don't really realize the way the bills finished this year and, and how great of a defense they've been number one against the pass, number one total. It's just impressive. And when you're in a playoff game and you can get up on a team and then have the best pass defense helping you out, that that's the way you want to go. Right. Uh, you don't want it to go the opposite way. Um, but again, like, even if, even if they get down, I trust in Josh Allen to find a way to score. I mean, he, he when he's on, he's on. And we've seen this a couple of times last year and, and a few times this year, less for sure. Man, he's impressive. And I hope next week, you know, we get to see this style of offense and really running the ball more with him. And it seemed to get him going, right? Like they ran it early, but it's, it's a cold game, right? Think about when you're out playing with your friends. If you're a quarterback, you're sitting back, you're throwing, your hands are a little cold. Now nah, get in there and run it. Get in there and hit somebody. Let's like, get your whole blood pumping, right? Let's, Let's get see that who adrenaline wants it going. Yeah. yeah. And 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 I think that helps in, in a lot of facets of the game. So it was really fun to see. And uh, man, I, I I just, I really enjoyed his performance. And it was nice to see it against a Patriots defense that doesn't get torched like this often, especially in the playoffs. Bill has these guys ready to go. So yeah, that was impressive. Yeah, it, it was fun to watch uh, both sides of that ball because for as good as that Buffalo Bills defense has been, they've been terrible against the run. And it's the one thing that, you know, their Achilles heel uh, all season long. And they, credit to them, did an excellent job at scheming for uh, for three running backs or at least the the two main ones that uh, that in Ramondre Stevenson and, and Damian Harris – uh, that the the Patriots are throwing out there. So uh, stopping the run game and then forcing Mac to uh, to make some uh, not so great decisions, uh, which led to two interceptions and just a just a disjointed offense from the beginning. And, uh, and on offense for the for the Bills, just I think the the key for them was getting an actual run game going, both with Josh Allen, but with Devin Singletary too. I mean, the fact that he got involved that early. And and had that much success, and he's done it over the past, I think, four or five weeks of the uh, of the season, and it's just been building up to this. And now to have that success against a Buffalo Bills defense, uh, it's it's going to be a little bit easier, I think, to establish the run against uh, against the Chiefs defense the way they're going. But I never count them out. Uh, so, uh, but if they can establish the run, that's that was that was to me one of the big keys of of the success of that offense on uh, on saturday night you, you hit it on the head scotty i mean devin singletary if devin singletary has 80 yards rushing i don't see how buffalo loses two touchdowns yeah i mean like and the goal line stuff whatever i mean that can be josh allen just as easily you know it can be stefan Diggs on on an end around there's a million different ways you can do that but it's right. the it's the chunk runs it's the like hey we can run it anytime we want with devin singletary and it doesn't matter what you do that that is when they're at their most dangerous. And yeah. getting some offensive linemen back for this game that was helpful. You know they've been dealing with a banged up O line the majority of the season, and I think that definitely showed in this game. Now that the whole offense was basically full go, completely healthy, because they just have so many different ways they can beat you. You know uh, they have three wide receivers who you know are dependable at least between Cole Beasley, 
and uh, Emmanuel Sanders, and then obviously Stefan Diggs. And then Josh Allen being the freight train of excitement that he is, man. I mean, he will run guys over, he'll run, he'll run past guys, he'll break guys, guys down and, and steal some ankles and some ACLs along the way. Uh, he is an electric factory, man. And he, he's Mahomes, but he, he's a weird combination of like Mahomes and, and Cam Newton. Like he has the throwing ability that Cam Newton never did, but he has the size and the speed that Cam did. And yet it doesn't matter what the elements are or, or what situation you put him in. Allen has every tool you could ever imagine. He, he's kind of what I think a lot of people thought Ryan Leaf would end up being based off of how Leaf looked in college, which is just this hulking six foot five freak athlete who can run and truck people, but also has an absolute you know bazooka for a freaking arm. And when they have the ability to run the ball without hurting Josh Allen, now it's not just like because the running game for them for so long, similar to those Carolina teams, was like Josh Allen is the running back, it, it is the whole running game, and he does it off of scramble sometimes. Sometimes he does on design runs, and, and that's a lot of what Cam Newton was. But when they can run the ball and you have to worry about, hey, is he going to pull it? Is he going to keep it? Are they going to run read options off of this? Are they also, is he going to pull it and all of a sudden sling it downfield? They become an extraordinarily difficult offense to try to defend. On top of the fact, like what you said, Vito, is that they also have one of the best defenses, if not the best and most complete defense in the NFL. And the Patriots, look, they're a young team. You have a rookie quarterback. It, it, they're built on high school you know, principles of running the ball and playing good defense, which ultimately like those two factors and keeping them vague matter. And we saw the Bills do that. But the Bills can do so many other things that the Patriots just had no chance in. And you're putting a quarterback who grew up in Florida, went to school in Alabama, every big game he ever played in was in a dome, and now all of a sudden you're putting him in two-degree weather. And the one thing I didn't hear talked about at all leading up to the game is, like, Josh Allen went to school in Wyoming. Like, people are talking about how hard this is going to be, how cold it's going to be for him there. The dude played in Wyoming in, in the fall, in, in the winter. Like, that's it's a pretty cold, cold there. It's yeah. yeah. pretty freaking cold. So he's set up perfectly to do this at home. He's set up to be able to do it in Arrowhead next week. And the cool thing is, is we saw the Chiefs look just as dominant. So I feel like that game is like the game of the, the playoffs to this point. And, and that's not to take away from Cincinnati and Tennessee, which I think is going to be a fantastic game and I'm super excited about. But when you realize that, like, the two arguably most – the teams with the highest ceiling, at least, in my opinion, are Buffalo and Kansas City above all other teams, right? I think when they reach their peak potential, they're both higher than Green Bay. I just think Green Bay's been the better Tampa team. Tampa Bay close third, I mean. And Tampa Bay's in that conversation <laughs> too. But both teams are set up to do so many things offensively, and it's just going to be like who can kind of click. And it seems like Buffalo's clicked at the right time. And there's not enough you can say about how ridiculously good Josh Allen is. I mean, he it, there's a statistical argument that it was the greatest – season uh playoff game that any quarterbacks ever played statistically and when you think of all of the great players because I, I forget what the stat but it was like over 300 yards passing over 50 yards rushing five touchdowns no turnovers had never been done ever in the history of of the nfl playoffs and we saw what was not only a dominant raw numbers but like the efficiency he only had to throw the ball 25 times and yet the offense was still able to just move the ball and score and score and score. And he finishes with five touchdowns. It, it was a surreal day, surreal day for, uh, for Josh Allen and the bills. And 
The only question for me about them is how much of this was the emotional like let out, right? We've been the punching bag. The Buffalo Bills have been the punching bag to the New England Patriots for 20 years. And even though we've beaten them a few times over the last few years, this game was the separator. This was the, yeah, no, this is our fucking division. Do not mess with us. Like we have completely stolen that from you. There is no more question. There is no more doubt. You win a crazy game with Mac Jones throwing three times on a Monday night in in December. Cool. We don't give a shit. We're going to pound you when it matters. And they did in the last, you know, week 16 when they played and they did it again in the wild card round. So Mm -hmm. unbelievable performance. And now the Patriots on the other side, you know, I I said this before, I don't know how much longer Bill's going to coach for. I hope he coaches for a long, you know, continues to coach for a while, but they're a little bit further away than we thought. And, it's okay because they have a young team. So I think within the next few years, they could be right back in this. But Mac Jones has some work to do. And for as good as he was, he's a rookie. I'm not going to hold this against him. I'm not going to all of a sudden say like, oh, Mac Jones is a bust now. But there's a lot of question marks surrounding this team. And don't forget how much money they invested in the offseason and free agency. I mean, they spent yeah. the most amount of money that any team had ever spent in the, in the free agency pool last year. So, Jeff, so, so my argument, Jeff, for the Patriots, what they need is that they need another star because the guys that they did spend money on are role players. It's Nelson Aguilar. It's Hunter Henry. It's Kendrick Bourne. It's Johnny Smith. Aside from Matt Judon on the other side of the ball, nobody on that offense is a star. You keep the run game the way you do. You get another star to build around Mac Jones and grow with him in the NFL, kind of like the Burrow and, uh, and uh, Jamar Chase type deal. And you're in business. Like, look, when when the the Patriots revamped uh, in Tom Brady's first career, uh, first of three, by the way, uh, Tom Brady's <laughs> first career, they had uh, they had Randy Moss come in, and then that's a, a young Rob Gronkowski, and that's the relationship that blossomed, right? So they they need some kind of star power uh, somewhere. But those are the uh, two uh, outliers, though. Like, because I would argue that's actually his second career. I mean, at least uh, like yeah. in, it's like in between his yeah. first and second career, right? Yeah. When you think about how Bill Belichick built this team and the comps to the early 2000s Patriots were plentiful all year, right? Young quarterback, all this stuff, great defense, running the ball. Like who is the best? I mean, they brought in Corey Dillon, right? Who had yeah. been a, a really good pro. He's still the only, you know, Pro Bowl running back that Belichick's ever had. But other than that, it's the Dion branches of the world, right? It, you know, it, they ne- they were never reliant on star power, though they always had a dependable, you know, borderline Pro Bowl type wide receiver throughout all their runs. You know, whether it was Troy Brown or, you know, you can go back and find some of the guys that they had on those teams. I think going out and getting a star is, I guess the bigger question here I'm, I'm trying to ask is, it seems like they're trying to rebuild this team in the model that they did the early Brady teams. But does that even work anymore in the modern NFL? I think that's a good point because you're right. Like Bill doesn't spend high draft picks on skill players. He just really doesn't. And even think about Randy Moss, he got him for a fourth round draft pick, right? Like it it wasn't, it wasn't a massive blockbuster deal. And people thought Randy Moss's career was over at that point. Like seriously, like he was coming from the Raiders where it was like, you know, he was a shell of himself. Yeah. So I, I don't, from my standpoint, I think it's a really interesting look at can you re, can you win in the early 2000s and in the early 2020s in the same fashion, right? 20 years removed. 
Um, if you said that about the, the 2020, like about the Patriots in 2001, and then you went back to 81, think about the passing offense and how it changed. And it's done that again, uh, you know, probably about the same. It's weird to even say that out loud, but yeah, probably about the same. And I love that, you know, Bill is sticking with the run and sticking with this kind of makeup of a team. But I definitely think that he made this team overperform what they are. I think they, I expect that out of him though. I think they'll be back. Right. And, and competing for wild card spots here. I, I think the bills are going to lock down this division. Like you said, I think they got it for Josh Allen's, you know, most of his career here. It's can Mac Jones turn it up, have some options. I love the Hunter Henry, you know, pickup. He, he only had one catch in this game, you know? So, so when you come down to it, you know, who's going to make these big plays for you and, I don't know if they have enough. So Scotty, I think it's a great point. Maybe you need to break out of that mold and get somebody, or even if it's not, you know, in a first round, first overall pick, is it somebody who you can get from another team that you can trade for, right? That that's a little later in their career to pull, pull what he did with Randy Moss with another receiver. I mean, don't go after Antonio Brown, don't get me wrong, but like pick somebody else that you think is, is like, I mean, like viable, like Calvin Ridley, right? Like Calvin Ridley is, he set out for the rest of the season and he said that he, he needs a new start. So the thought process is he's probably going to be leaving Atlanta this year. Right. And, Mm -hmm. and that's another thing, Mac Jones and he were teammates at Alabama. I know a lot of Eagles fans want the Eagles to go after Calvin Ridley as well uh, for, for kind of the same deal, but there's also the whole, like, but it's kind of similar to the Randy Moss thing. It's like, well, how much does he love football? Like, is he all there mentally? Like all these kind of question marks that you can buy low. Like Belichick's whole thing is buying low, getting value out of guys that other people don't see value in. I mean, Christian Barmore was written. He was the first interior defensive lineman taken, and he was arguably one of the best, if not the best rookie D lineman we had in football this season. So he's all about finding opportunities to, to buy low and get value. And there's a good chance he might be able to do that with Calvin Ridley rather than say, you know, Allen Robinson, who is probably going to become a free agent this year too, unless the bears decide to franchise tag him again. So you're right to, to an extent, Scotty. And I, I think they, that is what they're missing. They're missing a playmaker. They're missing somebody to help Mac Jones because Mac Jones is not going to be able to do it on himself, especially not right now and in this stage of his career at going into his second season. So if they can find a spot and you got to remember too, like they drafted Gronk in the third round. Like it wasn't like Gronk was a first round pick. Like they stumbled into Gronk and Gronk becomes the greatest tight end of all time because of he and Brady and the dynamic that they have. And are you just going to stumble into another Gronk? Probably not. I, I think Gronk stumbled in there. That's the, that was the- <laughs> He probably, Whoa, he, hey guys. <laughs> he probably did. He probably did. But we know the defense is going to be good. And the defense is young, talented, and is pretty much set. They can use another sec, another guy in the secondary. Um, you know, but between Hightower and Judon and Barmore and Kyle Van Noy, like they're always going to find those bargain guys, those Chris Longs, those guys they can bring in and and hold up. But they definitely need a playmaker on offense because to answer my own question. I don't think you can win in the modern NFL like you could in 2001. And I'll say this, Vito, I think the passing evolution from 1981 to 2001, from 2001 to now, is vastly different. I think it's significantly more prolific now. The game has completely expanded. It's been officiated completely different to allow for that kind of stuff. And in every single playoff run, the one question I've had with with the Patriots this year, like in every scenario when we were talking about them is, if they get into a game where there's a shootout. Now, my thought was like, I don't think they'll let teams do that to them, but we just saw that they did. 
And if you get into a shootout, are you going to be able to hang? Because you're not going to be able to control every aspect of every single game. Otherwise, Belichick would never lose. You know, I mean, and- no team ever would. Yeah, you're right. It's it, that's the thing. Their weakness is is um, strained enough, right? Their defense can get strained. Their offense gets strained enough where they can fall out of their element. Or with Tom Brady, they could do everything. They could be a run all the time, but you need Tom to win. You know, make three amazing drives in the fourth quarter, and he could. They could come back from anything, mm-hmm. but they don't have that ability now, right? Um, it, they just don't. And so I think it's a great point. I think if they get into a game like that, they don't seem to have what it could. But, but you know, Mac Jones is a good quarterback. We'll see how he develops. It's always said that, you're, you know, your first off season uh, is a huge jump. So I hope to see it in his case. I really do. I'm rooting for him. I'm rooting yeah. for the Patriots to at least be relevant. And nothing and nothing about this is disparaging Mac Jones, right? We're talking about a rookie quarterback who, oh, yeah. who objectively had a fantastic season. Uh, of course. The, the only point I'm, I'm making, and you just said it right there, Vito, right? Tom Brady became the star. But when Tom Brady was young, the defense was the star. He had a couple of guys around him who could help. And it wasn't really until those Randy Moss years that Brady became the star. Yes. And Mac Jones is still three or four years away from being the star in New England. and he needs those help. He just, he needs help. Yeah. And unfortunately, it took Josh Allen three or four years. It's a, yeah. 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 Unfortunately in the modern NFL, I don't think you can, you can stumble into a second year starter filling in for Drew Bledsoe and, and playing <laughs> defense and running your ball to, the way, you know, into, to a championship. Like I just, I don't think you can win games that way. And, and because the game has just evolved so much since those early past years. And I, I think it's going to be tough not to say it's impossible, but, They've invested a lot of their cap money. A lot of it was on shorter deals, so they're not they're not in like cap hell. Like Belichick's too smart to let himself do that. But I mean, if they in in what is a loaded wide receiver draft, and Belichick has historically drafted terribly at the wide receiver position, they need to hit on somebody because Kendrick Bourne and I mean Mac Jones did all of this as a rookie, despite the fact that he had Kendrick Bourne and Nelson Aguilar. And Jacoby Myers, who I like Jacoby Myers, but when that is the wide receiving core you're throwing to with Hunter Henry, who has, I, I love Hunter Henry, but like the amount of injuries that dude's had in his career, it's, it's a factor. And so it's impressive what Mac Jones has done, but he needs more weapons. He needs more help. And uh, take a look at a guy like Calvin Ridley. I don't know. I, I could see that being an interesting message or marriage. Um, all right. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back. We're going to hit uh, the rest of the playoff games, winners and losers right after this to Sunday of wildcard weekend. Um, we're going to start with the four 30 game. Cause nothing happened at one o'clock. Uh, nothing at all of relevance <laughs> or importance happened at one. Um, <laughs> no uh, Eagles and bucks in Tampa Bay. Uh, Sorry, buddy. Shit pumped. Yeah. Shit pumped. Um, yeah. That's just, a rough one. Uh, and, and honestly, it might be it might have been the worst loss. I mean, the Patriots were bad too, but it was thirty-one to nothing at some point, and uh, that was just an absolute ass kicking. Nobody did well. Sirianni didn't do well. Gannon didn't do well. Hertz didn't do well. Defense didn't play well. Wide receivers, Jalen Rager. Oh, man, that that dude, I think my, it's funny. My mom asked me this. She said, who do you think is more hated in Philly right now, Ben Simmons or Jalen Rager? Ooh, I like this game. I'm going to go Jalen Rager. I think it might be. I think it, it might be. It just doesn't matter. Whoever it is, they just love to hate him, so it's hard to tell. 
Yeah. <laughs> it, it's um we're on to the NBA season, I'll say that. And Bede's averaged like 30 points a game in his last 12. So the Eagles are the, the Sixers got something going on, but the Eagles far cry away. Um, but we're gonna start with the team that won, which is Tampa Bay. And Tampa Bay was fully healthy for the first time, probably since middle of the season. Full defense was there. Uh, and then minus, obviously, you know, Chris Godwin and uh, Leonard Fournette, pretty much the whole offense was there. And they did it with two backup running backs, Giovanni, uh, Giovanni Bernard and Keyshawn Vaughn. Didn't matter if Ronald Jones was in. It didn't matter if Leonard Fournette wasn't there. Didn't matter if Chris Godwin wasn't there. Uh, this team did every anything and everything they wanted for four quarters. And I'll, I'll say this, the Eagles defense started to show up in the end of the first half and in uh, at the start of the third quarter. The Eagles offense just didn't, you know, com- compete at all. It just didn't make it even remotely close. But when the Bucs are rolling like this, and this is where you can see, like, it's so hard trying to game plan a defense against Tom Brady because the Eagles were rushing four for the majority of the game and had, you know, seven guys dropped in the coverage, and it just doesn't matter. He'll just pick you apart. You want to play man, he'll pick you apart. You want to play off ball to protect yourself in the deep ball, he'll pick you apart. You want to play all sorts of exotic zones. It doesn't matter. There's nothing you can throw at Tom Brady that he hasn't seen before. And outside of Aaron Rodgers, you know, he and Rodgers both have a little bit of that, which is where I think this ultimately this is going to come down to in the NFC. It's going to be Bucks and, and, and Packers again. But Tom Brady, man, that dude just – he it's – it's ridiculous it's good, what he's huh? doing at this point. It's it's just absurd. It's it's absurd what he's doing to this point. Yeah, man, I, look, like, what can you say about Brady that hasn't been said already? Um, not uh, not the least of which you already covered. I mean, like, just he does it with with any kind of cast of characters you have, and that to me looked like the most one of the more dominant performances he's had on offense, uh, particularly in a playoff game. And then on the defensive side of the ball, I mean, they look like last year. They were just flying around all over the place. Devin White was everywhere. Uh, Whitehead was everywhere. Uh, and so not only for the the Eagles' ineptitudes on offense, uh, that's the biggest word I've said today, uh, but – for the fact that their defense was playing that well and covering that well uh, just made it that much more difficult for for Jalen Hurts uh, to do anything at all. And I, Jeff, I want to ask, well, I'll, I'll wait. I'll hold on this question until later when we talk about the Eagles. But, but man, okay, uh, that, uh, that performance from, from the Bucs, they, they look scary, Vito. I mean, <laughs> they look scarier than last year almost. Yeah, I mean, the, the thing is, is they still didn't run the ball extremely well, right? I mean, they ended up with barely over 100 yards. They didn't need to. I get it. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, realistically, though, the point is that the team won. They, they did what they needed to do. You know, they forced some turnovers. Um, Eagles didn't play a great game. So I guess the point is that, like, good for the Bucks. I don't see this as like a... Uh, I don't see this as like, oh man, the Bucks—they got it all. They're clicking on all cylinders, and and they're running. Like, it's not like how we feel about the Bills. At least not how I feel about the Bills. Right? This is still a team that they played a opponent that, Jeff. No offense, I, you know, Eagles made the playoffs. They're not a like pure blood playoff team. I think you could have had a couple of teams at the spot, and they probably would have all performed similarly. It's there's not. It's okay, right? The tiers of the NFL year to year change, and that's why they added you know, another playoff spot to see, you know, get it more interesting, but this is one where um, 
you know, most years, I don't even know if this would have been a playoff game. Right. So it's just, it's, it's to come with the territory when they do this uh, playoff expansion. I think the bucks are set up to do well. I'm not, I'm not like blown away by their performance by any means. Um, but it was a blowout and they deserve to win. But now it's, I, does that make sense? Like, I don't think that this was a good litmus test for how far they're going to go where the bills I, play the Patriots. And for some reason that held more weight. Does that make sense? I, I understand what you're saying, but I, I think it, I think it probably means a little bit more, maybe not as dominant wire to wire, right. You know, like the numbers definitely were a little flashier for Buffalo. I think the Eagles end up getting more stops defensively, particularly there at mm-hmm. certain points in the first half in that second quarter. Um, you know, they, they were able to get pressure on Brady. They sacked him, I think three times in, in the first half, which was, which was big, but it, the running numbers don't like flash at you. Right. Because I mean, it's Keyshawn Vaughn and Giovanni Bernard, yeah. But when you factor in what those guys did in the receiving game, because a lot of how they supplement their running game is in short passes and, and getting the ball to the flats, right? Brady gets the ball so quick that they can run little, you know, not necessarily screens, but little wheel routes, you know, short little dump offs into the flat and, and still pick up positive yardage. And, you know, Giovanni Bernard, five catches for 40 yards. You add on another 10 yards from Keyshawn Vaughn in the passing game on top of that 150 or that 106 that they had. You know, we're talking about probably 160 yards of production from your running backs. And I think that's the dangerous part of this team because, you know, Brady can, pick, yeah. Yeah, like Brady can pick you apart and, you know, with, through the air, even with a bunch of backup wide receivers and, and Mike Evans, who had a monster game. Like Mike Evans is obviously the biggest game changer on that offense. And he was able to get Gronk involved, too. Gronk had five catches for 30 yards. He had the, the one touchdown. Um, it, it, it's when he can get little side skill guys, right? The James Whites uh, of the world. When he, has, when he can get guys like that, the ball, and have them be productive in other ways other than just running, that's when their offense is, is just you like, how do we stop this thing? And unless you sack Brady, like that's really the only way you, you stop this offense from running and running smoothly. And the Eagles found ways to get pressure at certain times, but – if he had three seconds to get the ball out, it was going to be a positive play. It was going to be well, three or four yeah. yards minimum. Yeah, like two of those sacks were Kerrigan off the edge with their backup right tackle in. So, like, mm-hmm. that was when Tristan Wirfs was out. Yeah. Uh, so, so, and I mean, their backup was also hurt. Josh Wells, who's a JMU guy, um, was actually hurt. So, yeah, you're going up against the, the hurt backup second string right tackle and Ryan Kerrigan, who did nothing all year. And I mean, nothing. Yeah. Uh, comes up with two sacks in the playoff game. So that's, you know, it's a great point, Scotty. I, I think the, the scarier part and the reason why is I think when this defense is all clicking together, I think they're scarier than any other defense in, in football, even the Bills, because of what they can do in the interior. I mean, Vita Vea just says you're like the Eagles are the number one running offense in football, mobile quarterback, arguably the best offensive line. And Vita Vea just was throwing Jason Kelsey around. You know, and, and and that's hard to do. You know, Jason Kelsey got called on yeah, two penalties, <laughs> both of which were bullshit, but he still got called on, on two penalties in this game. He'd been called on one all season, and it was an unsportsmanlike conduct when he took his helmet off and screamed on, I think it was against the Bucks on that Thursday night game, which was an epic moment. Um, and you could just tell the frustration that they had, and that's what Ndamukong Sue and, and Vita Vea and then obviously Tyron on the outside, the rookie, are trying. I mean, he's money, money yeah, JPP. And then, yeah, the two linebackers, like Levante David was like 60% healthy in this game and he played and what he allows, because he's, he's the, he's the computer, right. And Devin white is the like, go get him. 
right? Like, like they're, they're yeah. te- like, he just lets, he's so smart. He just like, not that he doesn't make plays on his own, but he puts Devin White in positions to let Devin White be the freak athlete running around the field and making plays. And Devin White was an absolute game changer in this game. Like, like completely took this game over. And you said the other name too, which I had forgotten how dangerous he is, is Jordan Whitehead. Jordan Whitehead was everywhere. Every yeah. short little screen pass, every option play, every time you had a running back out in space in the flat, Jordan Whitehead was there and making plays from that safety spot. Edwards, their other safety, played great. Six and tackles for Whitehead. And two Winfield sacks. Junior two played tackles great. for loss, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, they just were – they were all over the place. And, and when that defense is humming – you know, I their big thing is like they can make they can force takeaways in ways that other teams can't when they're all clicking because of the way they're designed and because of you know that that scheme and their coordinator and everything. Buffalo is just gonna play solid defense across the board and, and hopefully they luck into a couple of turnovers. The Bucks, when they're clicking defensively, are 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 scary. And um, and I think that was the biggest takeaway. Philly on the other side, <laughs> um they got some decisions to make. Uh, Scotty, you said you had a question for me. So why don't you go ahead and ask me this? Before yeah, we well, get one, of, one of those questions is, do you stick with Jalen Hurts at quarterback? Because I don't know if it was the fact that they were playing a tough defense. I don't know if it was the fact that, uh, that they had, uh, that their wide receiver core is terrible. And by the way, I didn't understand I can't stand Troy Aikman. You guys know that. That's well documented. But for the <laughs> life of me, he he called it all game long. He was like, you have Devontae Smith one-on-one at the top all day long. Why aren't you throwing to him? Mm-hmm. Um, and then in the in the the shots that Jalen did take, he just looked inaccurate. I don't think I don't I don't think it was anything serious. I think it might have just been a bad game. But then you look up his stats, he was 61% throwing on the year. So is he the answer at quarterback for the Eagles? So the way you look, you can look at this in two different ways, right? And it goes back to what we were talking about with the Raiders and just how are we set, like roster construction. And, and we have right now the Eagles are in a spot where they can go two completely different routes. If you think the team and the roster is set up to potentially win a Super Bowl, you can trade your three first-round picks. You can go out and try to get Russell Wilson, and you can try to make a push, a win-now push. And honestly, with the way Russ is taking care of himself, you could probably have him for 10 years. Or you can use the three picks to rebuild the roster because you need to rebuild the roster. And defense let, particularly. <laughs> and, and let Jalen Hurts continue to, uh, to develop. And I'll say this. If the Eagles had been one spot out of the playoffs, this is an entirely different conversation and no one's talking about do we need to replace Jalen Hurts. There would be some speculation. Right. Do they maybe make a move? But for the most part, I think everyone would. The problem is this game was on national TV with the whole country watching against the GOAT, against the good defense. And he had one of his worst games of the year. Uh, and, and he was not helped by, you know, a couple of bad drops and, you know, Jalen Rager fumbling a punt return and, and all this stuff. Like the whole team was a failure. The one on one stuff with the Devonte, like that is a failure of the, the coaching staff and the game planning and the, and the play calling to not take advantage of that because they could have in so many different times, but Hertz also missed a lot of open guys. Cause Tampa Bay said, if you're not running the ball, we're blitzing the shit out of Jalen hurts. And yeah. we're going to force him into try to make some hero ball throws. And they ended up being bad plays and he made bad reads and he had no idea 
what he was seeing. So with all was, of that, you know, yeah, there was together, a ton of miscommunication on routes too. That's what you know. Yeah, it, 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 was, was, like, poorly it coached, wasn't just a bad day. It was like poorly coached bad, across yeah. the across the board. And and Hertz missed a bunch of wide open guys, like potential touchdown passes. He looked like Jalen Hurts from weeks, you know, one through seven when they were two and five. And I'll say this, right? Like Jalen Hurts from Alabama year one to year two. Uh, Jalen Hurts from Alabama to Oklahoma. Jalen Hurts from Oklahoma to the pros his rookie year. And then from rookie year to this year, he's improved every single year. And where this roster is at, if you trade the first, you know, three first round picks to go get Russell Wilson, you're not competing for a Super Bowl. You're not. You're probably in a, a relatively similar situation than you are now, maybe a little bit better. I would stick with Jalen Hurts. I would use the three draft picks to get your Devin Lloyd, whoever it is, get your defensive players, Lindenbaum, the center from Iowa, who's an absolute stud, right? Get in these pieces that are going to help you long-term. Bet on Jalen Hurts for another year. And if it doesn't work out, then trade the farm to, you know, you'll have young talent in place. They've already signed up a bunch of young talent to contract extensions. If next year doesn't work, then you trade a bunch of draft picks, you move up and you go after Bryce Young or, you know, one of these up and coming quarterbacks who are going to be available in next year's draft. But for next year, I think you have to ride out with Jalen Hurts, get the roster better. Um, because you just don't have opportunities like this to kind of overhaul your roster in yeah. what is an absolutely loaded draft across the board. The only position that this draft is not strong in is quarterback. So people are th- talking about it like it's a weak class. Like, no, this is a loaded, loaded class. You can get another franchise corner to go across from Darius Slay. You can get a, a le- legitimate stud linebacker. Get yourself a Devin White, right? And then go get another wide receiver. You can do all of that within the first 19 picks of the draft. That's incredible. And I think that's what they have to do. And you have to ride with Jalen Hurts and let the young quarterback and the young coach continue to grow together. So that's what I would do. But how he has this infatuation with quarterbacks, right? He called him, remember, they called himself the QB factory a couple of years ago. I don't want the QB factory. All right. Because the one thing that completely underestimates is the effect it has on the incumbent starter. Now, I don't think Jalen will be bothered by that because he's so strong mentally, but it's a waste of an asset. And if they go quarterback here, I think it's a real problem. I think it's a bad decision. So yeah, that's, no, I, that's my I, two cents. I agree uh, wholeheartedly with you. I mean, he was one of the most effective quarterbacks all year long. So uh, I, I think you, you ride him out. <clears throat> I mean, his numbers from this year in his first real year starting compared to Russ and Lamar and some of the other mobile quarterbacks who've gone on to have really great careers. I mean, he has better numbers this year than those guys did. We just we have to be patient and and set ourselves up. I mean, Vito, if you're if you're Philly, what what are you doing here? Are you sticking with Hertz? I am. I, I think there's not enough to be seen yet. I really do. I agree with what you're saying about the roster. There's other areas. You throw in a nice quarterback. Yeah, I think they win some more with Russell. I, I do. I mean, I think they're a better team, obviously, going from Hertz to, to Wilson, but that limits how even what you can do in the future with the rest of those positions. You are locking the team down at that point. And and not to mention when you trade away draft picks, people also have to remember draft picks aren't just, oh, we have a chance to go get a good guy, you know, really talented from college. It locks in good talent at a low rate. When you're building a roster and trying to improve multiple facets of your team, you need draft picks because it keeps those guys locked in at three or four years or potentially even five of the first round option, you know, at, at a lower cost than what you're going to get 
anywhere else on the, on the market. So mm-hmm. the Eagles, I think are actually have a good base of a team. The thing is that some of their leaders are getting older and older, right? I mean, like Kelsey, you know, is getting up there. Cox is getting up there. It's, it's one of those situations where you really need to draft and look ahead to the future. This isn't a, a grab a quarterback and, and be done team. Like they're, they're not. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think what's been, I would say positive is that at least they're, they're trying um, there's a lot of franchises that you see that are just making mistake after mistake after mistake. Right. And the Eagles are not that kind of franchise. They may make a mistake here or there, but they don't stumble their way back down to a two and 10, you know, uh, two and 15 team for like five or six years straight. That's not the Eagles franchise. So they know what they're doing. They're going to make sure they're a solid team. And I think that's why they're going to stick with Hertz, at least for now. I really do. And I, I hope that's the case, especially again, first year head coach, first year quarterback. And that's why I said, like, if they hadn't made the playoffs, it, it would be a totally different conversation and it would be far more positive, which is crazy to think that if this team with the low expectations anyway, still making the playoffs and everything else that good that they've done, the fact that things would actually be more positive had they not made the playoffs is crazy, but that's just how badly they looked on Sunday. But it, I think it's a, a good snapshot of just how far away the roster is from competing from a suit for a Super Bowl, you know, that Eagles roster that won in, in 17, like they had the whole, the whole roster was loaded and they went toe to toe with Brady and Belichick and they won. And, and the Eagles are a far cry away from that right now, based on how they're currently constructed. And I'll, I'll say this too. The one other reason they have the first time since the, since the Super Bowl, they actually have cap space this year because of the Carson Wentz trade and everything else they have like $25 million in cap space, which puts them right in the middle of the pack that frees you up space to go out and get a a quarterback, right? Like a Russell Wilson type guy. And it'll be even more if they decide to cut Brandon Brooks, but if they cut Brandon Brooks and now all of a sudden they have $40 million worth of cap, you can use that to bring in young pieces, like other guys who can help set the team up for success. If you go out and trade for Russell Wilson, you lose all that cap space to fit his contract in. And so not only are you getting those three first round picks, but you're also getting cap space and you're, you're going to be able to be a buyer in free agency and, and use, like they always say, the best way to build a team is through the draft. And then you sprinkle in extra pieces through free agency. And the Eagles have a chance to do that with a young quarterback, a young head coach and and a bunch of good veterans who are going to be around for another year to a point where who knows what's going to happen with Dallas. And we'll get to them in, in a second here, but the NFC East, like, I don't have any faith that the Giants are going to all of a sudden turn it around. If Washington gets a quarterback, like, you know, goes out and trades for a Derek Carr or a Matt Ryan, someone like that, then, you know, maybe all of a sudden we're talking about Washington as a team that's, you know, in the conversation of winning the NFC East. But it's a winnable division, especially considering everything going on with Dallas and that they might lose both of their coordinators this year in the head coaching cycle. So I, to me, it's a no-brainer, but – we don't always see that with Howie Roseman, right? It, the first no-brainer decision that he finally made as GM was drafting Devontae Smith this year, and it took Philly almost riding to the point where they were going <laughs> to burn down the street if they didn't draft Devontae Smith. And they did, and it worked out. So hopefully they stick with it. Like I said, like with Calvin Ridley or, or Allen Robinson, go get a good number two, cut Jalen Rager's ass. I hope I never see that dude play with the Eagles again. That dude sucks and is just awful. And if I had Justin Jefferson. All right, shut up. All right. Just, 
if I, if I if I ever hear Justin Jefferson's name uttered in association with the Eagles again, I I, I pray for the people around me. <laughs> um, all right, let's move on to the best game of the weekend: Niners and Cowboys. Uh, even though it was the best game, it had the most drama. Maybe that's a better way to say it, it was the most dramatic game. It wasn't a great game. Uh, the Niners came out. I mean, they were up sixteen nothing. <laughs> like it looked. I mean, for the average fan. Um, <laughs> The Niners came out and and looked like they were pretty much dominating this game, 16-0. Cowboys scored a touchdown. We got 16-7 at the half. Niners score again, make it 23-7, and everyone thinks this game's over, but the Cowboys still fighting, still clawing, worked their way all the way back. And then ultimately, similar to Cincinnati and, and Vegas, we're left with this play right at the end of the game and everybody's kind of losing their minds over it and how Mike McCarthy and Dak Prescott could let that happen. And you know that they always say that spike clock starts at 16. They try to rush it and make it close. Um, But ultimately what, what came down to this game was the Cowboys had 14 penalties played undisciplined, bad football from start to finish. The Niners played great defense. They ran the ball at will. And if it wasn't for, you know, Trent Richardson not being set on the QB sneak. We're not even talking about Dak, you know, rushing the the spike and not getting it off and all the miscues at the end of it. The Niners were just the better football team from start to finish in this game. So, Scotty, it was your team, so I'll give you the four. (laughs) Yeah, no, look, I I, I think we really were. We came out and and played the part, too, because they just – they were effective running the ball on the first drive, Elijah Mitchell with the – the touchdown on the first drive. Uh, and then they sort of, from that point, they get a three and out and, and we get the ball back and go down. And, and I think we kicked a field goal in the, on the, on the second series. And from there, it was just like, Hey, we can do whatever we want on offense. And look, we got a, a revamp secondary back to Tart's been playing better over the last few weeks. We got Aziz Al-Shair back, which was huge. Um, and then Fred Warner going all over the field. Uh, preventing the run and uh, and not letting Amari Cooper get over the middle um, as he usually does. So uh, I was a little worried about what the that receiving core would do with the secondary, but credit to uh, to to Kyle Shanahan and and uh, and those boys for for coming up with a scheme um, to uh, to stop the uh, the potency of of that offense because uh, as we've seen at least in the beginning half of the year, it can get a little uh, a juggernauty. Uh, so. Uh, it was it was excellent to watch for for me to see that defense play the way that they did. That was to me, you know, like I said uh, when we were talking about the uh, about the spread. I say, you know, we're going to be able to move the ball. Cowboys are going to be able to move the ball, uh, but both quarterbacks are going to make mistakes, and and they did. I, like give me through that interception late in the game, uh, and that's when it's sort of turned the tide a little bit for the Cowboys, but. Um, but again, the way that defense was playing for the 49ers, uh, just it gives me a lot of hope. <laughs> I'll put it that way. <laughs> yeah, I, I, it was a really well-played game by the Niners. When they want to play their style of football, they can impose it, which is a very useful skill in the playoffs. Uh, they have a tough test ahead of them up in Green Bay next week uh, to try to do the same thing in Lambeau. Uh, one interesting thing from this game that I had never seen before, but has been talked about a million times since that stadium was built, was uh, the punter hitting the bottom of the of the of the screen in Dallas. Has that ha- was I was I wrong in saying that? I swear I'd never seen that happen before. Has that happened before? I don't think I've seen it besides warmups, 
but it, then they they get a redo. What's that about? Yeah, they do. It's your so stadium. It's, it's interfere. Yeah, it's interference with a. Yeah, you know, it, it's not typical, right? You can't remake that. It's funny, right? Because like, I always think of this. Baseball stadiums have their own unique things, where the walls are different lengths and heights. Right. And and like the Tampa uh, Bay Stadium, if the ball hits the ceiling in Tampa Bay Ray Stadium, it's a live ball. Well, there is no ceiling. No, in the Rays stadium. Oh, the Rays. I'm sorry. In baseball. Yeah. Baseball. The, the Ray. I, <laughs> no. You said Tampa Bay. I instantly went to, I was like, what? Um, <laughs> thank you for making me. Yeah. No, that, that you're exactly right. Right. There's these different facets of these stadiums and, and what's going on. But without a doubt, I think what's interesting is that it never really came up during even regular season games. I think it might have happened like the first preseason game when they opened it just to be like, hey, check this out. You know? Like, I, I, like Scotty said, I've seen them do it in warmups, but in a game, I, I swear, I don't think I've ever seen it. And, and I think you got to try, like, I don't know if that's a natural punters arc. Maybe he just was, you know, they were further up and he's trying to pin it deep, but that was, uh, that was wild to see this game had a couple things like that, where it was, it, I know that was like, Oh wait, what's going on here. This is kind of strange. The end of the game, obviously, like there were a couple of situations where it was like, I don't think I'd seen that. If I hadn't seen it before, I hadn't seen it in a while. Right. Yeah, I, it was wild. It, it, and again, it's one of those things that's been, t- I remember was talked about so much when that stadium opened about, oh, is this going to be a problem? Is this going to affect games? And then it just never happened. And so it became a thing that, yeah, you would see occasionally in pregame stuff. Um, but to see it happen in a game was weird. Uh, look, the Niners are a team with, with Debo and George Kittle. Like they just have guys out there who, who are maulers, man. They're just, they're ball players. And and I I genuinely love this Niners team and you know Trent Richardson uh, uh, not Trent Richardson um, <laughs> Trent Williams Trent, Trent Williams thank you um is such a beast dude he's such a freak at that left tackle spot first uh, first ever playoff win yeah for I mean, Trent Williams so happens when you play wow. so happens when you play in Washington for the majority of your career. <laughs> Uh, I just thought it was really cool to see uh, a really good Niners team and to have at least one game that was close where, you know, we, we did our picks on, on Friday show, Scotty and I, and we texted Vito, like send our picks in. He got back to us late and he just said, give me the home team in every game yeah. to cover the spread. And he went five and one. <laughs> Vito went five and one picking that way. Scotty and I both went four and two. So we had a good weekend. And then, we also picked our over-unders. Uh, Scotty went one, four, and one. I went two, three, and one. But the Eagles and Bucks game, their over-under was 46, and it the, it hit exactly at 46. Wow. So we had the one the one draw there, um, the one push, I should say, using the betting terminology. But no, this was just a it was just cool to see these two teams, these two organizations, the history, everything else. Uh, a great, you know, you know, broadcasting crew. It was also the Nickelodeon game. Right. So we had the second year. In oh, a row. Noah Eagle. Uh, yeah. Our, my, my close personal friend, Noah Eagle, uh, used to work with him back in the day, going out and doing great things. He's a great dude. Um, but yeah, it was just, it was just interesting. Go ahead, Scott. You have your hand and raised. The, the last, I think it's four or five times that these teams have met in the playoffs. The winner of that game goes on to win the Super Bowl. So just saying. I don't think the Niners are going to win the Super Bowl, but I just wouldn't. Saying. Hey, look, they, I, I wouldn't be surprised. And, I'll say this too. I know he had the one interception and Vito and I were talking about this on last week, but one of my just irrational, like I know is dumb takes because there's plenty of numbers and I don't really care what anybody else says, but the one hill I'll die on is that Jimmy G is a, is a good quarterback. He's serviceable. Yeah. He's better than serviceable. He's, he's better than <laughs> Kirk, Kirk cousins. Isn't winning this game. Like I, I genuinely believe that's true. That. Yeah. You know, like I, I just, 
And statistically, Kirk Cousins is, should be a much better quarterback. I just I have faith in Jimmy G. I know he's going to make a mistake or two, but I also think you can overcome that and still be successful. I think you can overcome that and still win games. And and Jimmy G has done it. He's taken his team to the Super Bowl. He just beat a team that was favored at, on the road in the playoffs. You know, say what you will, but that that's tough to do. That's a hard thing to do. And yeah. and I and if you're Jimmy G too, like. I get it. Like, there's a lot of questions and concerns about him long term. What what the Niners should do? Obviously, they invested in Trey Lance, but this guy's taking you into the playoffs. Yeah. He's led you to Trey, what four playoff wins now? Yeah, Tr- quarterback Trey Lance is not winning that game. So, yeah, a hundred percent. No, and maybe right, maybe rookie. maybe five years from now he would. Yeah. You know, but no doubt. But uh, when you have a, a anyway. roster that is as good as as their roster is right now, you ride with Jimmy G and and you yep. let the chips fall where they make. Um, the Cowboys. Also, Credit to the Niners fans. There were there was a ton of red at AT and Stadium. Yeah, so Niners go traveled, go to Lambeau. <laughs> traveled well. Um, the Cowboys, on the other hand, are in a very weird situation, right? Because they have a great yeah. roster. They're loaded on both sides of the ball, and yet, and again, as I said, as we're leading this game up, Dan Quinn has five interviews scheduled for head coaches for head coaching openings. Kellen Moore is expected to have interviews as well. So there's a legitimate chance that the Cowboys lose both of their coordinators this year. A very good chance they lose at least one of them. And with Mike McCarthy, you know, the, the last play of the game, and I know it's been talked to death, so I don't want to necessarily rehash it here, but that falls on, on the quarterback and the head coach and, and how this team was coached and prepared to do so. If you want a full breakdown of the play, Dan Orlovsky did a fantastic one on get up. You can find it on Twitter, but that is such a, a glaring indictment of, of how Mike McCarthy runs teams. And if you're the Cowboys with this roster, with the money you've invested in, in Dak and in Amari Cooper and Zeke and, and everybody else on that team, and you have the young wide receiver in CeeDee Lamb, CeeDee Lamb caught one ball in this game. We talked about, you know, Devontae Smith getting underutilized. How yeah. the hell is CeeDee Lamb touching the ball once in this game? He also got one handoff, so I guess twice in this game. That's just unacceptable. Yeah. You can't just rely on like, oh yeah, he's going to be our punt returner. Expect that to be enough. You have to get him involved in this game. The offense was never comfortable. I know the O line's a little banged up, but that's still been one of the strengths of this team all year. And Dak, you can't make that mistake, man. You have to give the ball straight to the referee when you go down to spike the ball at the end of the game. And even still, I would have rather had two shots from the forty than one shot from the you know, the twenty eight yard line or wherever it ended mm-hmm. up being. I agree. So what do they do? Do you move on from McCarthy? I I don't know. Unless you have it lined up where you know that one of your two coordinators is going to say yes to an open head coaching position. That's the only reason I can justify firing Mike McCarthy, um, at least for for next season. Yeah, but even still, like I – is if it's Kellen, if you get Dan Quinn, I'd probably be on board. But like Kellen Moore is the one that Jerry Jones is obsessed with. And, so and I, yeah, I, I'm not a huge fan. And the Brown Moore's done a lot of great yeah. things. Like he's done, but like that offense has looked clunky and slow at times for all the talent that they have. I feel like they underachieved and I get it. Like they scored the most points in the NFL. Like there's a ton of numbers to suggest that their offense was phenomenal, but in big games, like what was the other big, the close game? I mean, they lost the game to the Cardinals uh, and they had one other, was it green Bay that they, they got played? whacked by Denver? There you go. Vito. Yeah, they did. Um, they obviously the Broncos game was terrible. Oh, the yeah. Chiefs game. The Chiefs game when they lost 19 oh. to 9. 
Yes. You know, like stuff like that. You, you, and yet they still put up 29 on the Buccaneers in week one. Right. And, and we saw them do a lot of great things. They put up 35 against the Patriots, but the, the inconsistency in some of the scoring, especially in games that they lost. I mean, they lost the Thanksgiving game to the Raiders. Like just seemed like whenever they needed big moments on offense, they seemed to fall short pretty, uh, pretty regularly this season. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. We'll see. I mean, the talent's there. If I'm, if I'm Jerry Jones, and again, this is the, the bigger problem with the Cowboys is Jerry Jones. I mean, let's just be real, you know, having to answer to your owner directly after every single thing, cause he's also your GM, that's not going to help. And until I think a lot of that stuff changes, which I don't think it ever will, or you get the perfect head coaching hire, which they haven't had. I don't, I don't really see a, a super bright future here for, for the Cowboys, despite the amount of talent and the roster that they have. Um, Sunday night sorry, game. James. <laughs> yeah, sorry, not sorry. Uh, the only thing that made the Eagles loss better, by the way, was the Cowboys losing immediately yeah. after. <laughs> You're welcome, Philly. So thank you, San Francisco. Um, <laughs> Anytime. <laughs> Kansas Kansas City and the Steelers, uh, at one point it was 0-0 after the first quarter, and TJ Watt strips a fumble and runs it back for a touchdown. You think, is there any chance this is going to happen? And then we saw something we hadn't really seen much this year was which was the Steelers going just berserker mode and just absolutely lighting it up 21 points in the second quarter, 14 in the third quarter and they cap it off with a touchdown there in the fourth. Um, This is the version of the chief that scares you. Right. And it feels like Andy Reid has kept Jarek McKinnon in a little back room all year and said, you can come out for game day, but then once we hit the playoffs, that's when we're going to use you because you know, Scotty, you knew, I know you liked him. You know, obviously he didn't get a chance to really play much for San Francisco because yeah. of the injuries, but a lot of people liked him when he was in Minnesota. And then he comes to, you know, San Francisco, doesn't really get a chance because of injuries. And now he's back out here with the Kansas City. And it's like people forgot about him. He's rested. He's a great little – he can do everything for you, right? Like he yeah. can run the ball. Catch he the can ball catch so the ball well, the backfield. You can line him up at wide receiver. He's a – he opens up so much of the short end of the field that allows guys like Tyreek and McCole Hardman, then obviously what Kelsey does for you over the middle. This is the version of the key of the chiefs that we, we were all terrified. We would eventually see, which was yeah. just Kansas city being able to steamroll score points at will whenever they wanted. And, and they did so pretty comfortably here in home uh, in the wildcard round against Pittsburgh. Yeah. And in a lot of ways it reminded me of, and this is why I, when I talked about the bucks earlier, when I said that, that, that they're clicking and they look scary is that like, you give Tom Brady an inch, he's going to take a mile. Same thing with Mahomes, right? It's the same same type of deal where you get a game like this where uh, you you face a Steelers defense that all year long we've we've talked about how poorly they've played uh, against the talent that's there, uh, at least up front. And then uh, even going into this game on Friday's pod, uh, you and I both said this is an absolute route, and we were correct. Uh, and largely because of what that defense uh, doesn't provide you. Um and so that as a stepping stone for, for Mahomes is the real scary part, uh, especially going into a game where they're going to be taking on what will probably be their toughest test uh, in these playoffs uh, against Buffalo next week. So uh, that, that to me is, uh, like I said, similar to the Bucks is when you give those guys an inch, they'll take a mile, and Mahomes is, is ready to do that and do it in ways that he's not accustomed to doing, right? They still didn't have a ton of the explosive plays. They're doing it the way they did down the stretch, which where it's, it's all the little stuff. It's the McKinnon out of the backfield on screens. It's, it's 
getting Tyreek involved, but not involved, right? You know, running running over the top so we can get Byron Pringle over the middle, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, out of the slot. So, yeah, it's that's what's scary to me. Let me ask you this, Vito. If you could have a choice knowing that you're going to get the best out of either one, whoever you pick, would you rather have Mahomes or Josh Allen in this game? <laughs> Whoa. Wow. You're getting the best – I'm glad he asked you, Vito. <laughs> I'm taking Josh. Wow. <laughs> and the reason why is because he he is so fast. He runs so hard, and his arm is a rocket. So really what you're saying is, you know, he's going to be accurate. He's going to put the ball, you know, where he does. You know, he's going he's gonna to deliver on all that talent. I think Mahomes is all – Mahomes is the guy who, no matter what, the ball's coming out, and it's going accurately to where he's, you know, to where his receiver is running in stride. Josh is more of like, he's got the rocket arm and he can run and he's like modern day Elway. And I just, because of that style, I'm going with him. Um, but I mean, there's no wrong answer there. I mean, I would love, I know they won't. It would be sick if for some reason they just swapped quarterbacks this game. Or like maybe in the off season exhibition, like I don't want to see the Pro Bowl. I don't want to see these scrimmages against each other. I want to see like Josh Allen with the Chiefs and Patty Mahomes with the Bills go against each other for like a quarter and like even a passing seven on seven drill or something. I would love that. Yeah. <laughs> no, I look, I, I don't think you're that crazy though. That's a thing. Like I, cause I, I think Mah- you know, both of them have similar skill sets with their arms and what they can do, you know, from throwing the ball. Uh, I think Mahomes is a better thrower all around uh, talking about accuracy and that kind of stuff when he's really on, but what Mahomes doesn't have, even though he is a mobile quarterback and, you know, he was second on the team in rushing this, this week at 30 yards on the ground too. So he's always dangerous to pull it and slide and, and, you know, take some of those extra yards, mm-hmm. Josh Allen being the, the freight train, the, the physical freak that he is at his size and um, at his weight and his height and everything is, is something that, you know, Mahomes just doesn't have. The reason I would pick Mahomes though, is the experience. You know, this like Mahomes wins this the game this weekend. It's four straight AFC championship games. And if they go to the Super Bowl, it's three out of the last four, uh right? sorry, uh three yeah. in a row, three Super Bowls in a row. So or do I have that stat right? Yeah, yeah. it'd be three Super Bowls in a row. Yeah. Like that is that is stuff that you you can't teach those that experience in big games. And not that Josh Allen had, you know, he's played in the AFC championship game. He was okay last year. He didn't have a great game, but he wasn't terrible in that loss to Kansas city. You know, I I'm going to take that experience factor because we've seen it. And right now that's the only difference I'm really seeing between the two is that when both are great, you know, yeah, Josh Allen might be able to do a little bit more, but we've seen Mahomes do it at the highest level when he's absolutely had to go down and score a touchdown in the super bowl. We saw him go out and do it. And so that's why I would lean Mahomes, but it's an interesting exercise because I think the, you know, Josh Allen just does a little bit more of that total package when you're really breaking it down. Uh, and, and the chiefs are setting themselves up for a chance to make another Super Bowl run, right? If yeah. you win this week, then, you know, you can't overlook the opponent you're going to play in the AFC championship game, especially if it's Cincinnati, because we just saw Cincinnati beat you. But if they win, unless they're, you know, and if Tennessee wins then they got to go to Tennessee and win that game. But actually, Kansas City lost to both of these teams this year, actually. That's pretty wild, uh, which I think also gives the leg up to Kansas City. We talked about that last week, Vito, right? How hard it is to beat a team you already played 
you know, twice, you know, to beat that team twice is, is a really hard thing to do because the advantage Very. tends to lean on the side of the team that lost the first time because they know what they have to do differently. The Bills and, just did it. Yeah, but they also lost the New England all once this year, right? So at that point, it's they each won a game, you know, they come back and then they were able to win that second game in a row, no question, but they just absolutely dominated. Uh, Pittsburgh is looking towards a whole new chapter of their franchise. Uh, no more Big Ben. Unbelievable career. Best of luck in retirement. He's someone I could see like struggling in retirement. Like I'm also a little worried about Big Ben. I'm like, is he going to balloon up to like 300 pounds? I think so. You know, like, like how, what's he going to do without football? I feel like the Steelers will probably make, make up some, some office front office job that he doesn't actually have to do anything. He just shows <laughs> up on a training camp and talks to whoever the new quarterback was yeah. and tells him about, you he, see, now my second year, we went all the way to this. We won the Super Bowl. My second, he, you know what I mean? <laughs> like it's like, I'm so curious to see what this next chapter for big Ben writes, but for the Steelers, it's going to be a world without big Ben and, and what they do here is going to be fascinating because I think they're going to be buyers to try to go find a, a, a veteran quarterback or they can, you know, roll another year with Mason Rudolph and then put your eggs in next year's quarterback basket. Or you go out and you get the hometown kid and Kenny Pickett or roll the dice on Matt Corral or one of these other guys in the late first round. Yeah, I don't know what you do there. Um, that's a tough spot because not only because you've had the guy for almost 20 years, right? Um, but because, like, you're going to ride or die with Mason Rudolph, doesn't seem like a uh, a good plan uh, if you're an investor. Um, and also, like, how many other areas of this team need help? I mean, like, Juju Smith-Schuster is a free agent. Deontay Johnson's been good, not great. Can he take that next step with Mason Rudolph, a quarterback? I no. would sincerely doubt that. Um, and then the only other uh, two you know, pillars on your offense are Najee Harris and your tight end and Pat Frymouth. And even like uh, that's, that's a place for him to, to learn and grow. But like that offensive line is trash. That secondary has been God awful. Not the least of which came on, uh, on Sunday night. Uh, they, they have a lot of holes to fill, not, not just a quarterback. Uh, so it's going to be interesting. I think they're in a f similar spot to Philly, right? Like, do you go out and like is is the Steelers roster ready to go make a, a Super Bowl run that you would go out and try to get Aaron Rodgers or someone like that? I, I don't think it would. I, no. I don't think I don't I, think it would. I think you have to look at rebuilding. It's just this is not a great year for quarterbacks. And they have Dwayne Haskins on the roster. I don't know. Maybe he you roll with him for a year and see if there's any sort of reclamation there or they, ha they have to add a quarterback. It's just a matter of who's that going to be and where do they get him? Yeah. You know? Vito, if you're Pittsburgh, what's what's the first call you're making this offseason? First call I'm making is to Aaron Rodgers. No, <laughs> um, but right, like I think it's it's yeah. they're, a, they're a team. I agree with you. It's like they're not going to get if, if they load up. I mean, they have a good shot because they do have some talent. The defense is is really good, but you know, I, I, we saw this year one injury can really change that. You know, God forbid. Fitzpatrick goes down, right? There are a lot of guys that like, um, you know, if Minka goes down, that, that would be huge for like that defense. So they're also, they rely on a lot of defensive stars, which most teams do, especially in the secondary and, and up front, right. Getting the pass rush and, and defending against deep balls. But 
I, I think you got to focus on that offense and really you got to find somebody who, who can be there for a little while. Like I like Najee Harris. I like a lot of the pieces they have. Can you get a guy at quarterback? You know, again, you don't need to get someone crazy. Can you get Garoppolo? Right. Like, well, that's a, name a, guy. We, a name we talked about earlier that just popped in my head. What about Derek Carr? Yeah. If they get Derek Carr, they're a playoff team, I think. Right. I mean, they're in the playoffs now with Big Ben and Derek Carr, I believe, played better than Big Ben. Right. Like, even though they had all those points and everything, just oh, definitely Big Ben gets better. streaky. But, but Derek Carr is a better quarterback at this point. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that's a guy. And again, you have him for a couple of years there. You're going to have him for five, six, seven, eight years. It's not it's not going to be a Rogers where you're a little, a little later than that. And I think that's a, as a Steelers um, franchise, the thing about it, guys, they've had three coaches and 50 some years, right. Chuck Noll to, to Cower to Tomlin. Like this is, this is a franchise that doesn't blow through changes. You know, the Roonies know what they're doing here and they they've, they've built teams from the inside out for as long since, since the late sixties, early seventies. And I got Joe green and, and Chuck Noll on the same day. So like yeah. the, this team, the, I, I trust this ownership to do what they're going to do um, and do the right thing. I trust Mike Tomlin, but man, it's, it's one of those situations where you hope you don't get, I hope we don't have to see a year of Mason Rudolph quarterback in this team. I really don't, man. That I, hope would so, suck. I hope so too. <laughs> I'll tell you the first call I would make would be to Matt Canada to say you're fired and you're not welcome back as the offensive coordinator next year. That would be the first call I would make shortly. Second call. Yeah. (laughs) And then, and then we're talking free agency. We're talking about, you know, who, who we bringing in. Um, I don't know why this popped my head. I had written down a note. I didn't get a chance to say about Cincinnati. So I'm going to share it now. Uh, There's a guy by the name of, if you really want to complete the LSU reunion, there's a guy by the name of Joe Brady that I'm sure would love, uh, to go back and work with his old quarterback Ooh, and wide receiver. Hey now. Anyway, last game of the first round of the playoffs, wild card weekend, Rams, Cardinals, Monday night, absolute stinker. Um, <laughs> 21, nothing at halftime. And it then quickly became 28, nothing. And it just never was the same poor showing for the Cardinals, man. Uh, what it, it was a good year. But the problem with this season for the Cardinals is it just leaves a lot of questions, and uh, and we'll get to some of those in a second. But the Rams showed why so many people picked the Rams to win the Super Bowl this year. Because Stafford was great. Uh, Cam Akers being back was awesome. I, I still can't get over how awesome that is to see him out there. Uh, o- Odell Beckham Jr., what a resurgence he's had. They're yeah. using him. I mean, he, We saw Odell throw a pass again last night. It's, I feel like yeah. it's been a, a decade since we saw Odell going out there chucking passes. And he, uh, I mean, they're finding they're ways to just, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, they're just, they're, they're finding ways to, to make Odell not just a piece and not just fill in the role that Robert Woods had, but they're, changing their offense to really accentuate the things that Odell Beckham Jr. does great. Yeah. Because you know, Cooper cup is he's a chameleon. He'll, he'll blend into any offense you run. So let's start doing stuff. That's going to help Odell and Odell had the toe tap touchdown catch. Uh, he had the, the deep pass, right. That set up another touchdown. He had a couple of huge catches in this game and Cooper cup still had a big game and had a touchdown and they can run the ball. And Sonny Michelle's looking great. Cam Akers looking great. You still have Daryl Henderson and Tyler Higby is the forgotten guy in all this. Who's actually a pretty damn good tight end. Uh, and then you, you couple that with this defense, which Aaron Donald just wrecking games, taking on offensive tackles. It's so funny. I've never seen 
a size weight matchup in which I would bet the smaller guy on more than Aaron Donald going up against whoever the left tackle was for the, for the Cardinals. Wild, right? Yeah. That was like, I'm like, that dude's got five inches and probably 75 to 80 pounds <laughs> on Aaron Donald. And I'm still taking Aaron Donald to not just like beat him, but to, would beat the shit out of him. Yeah. <laughs> so the question is, is do we see this version of the Rams next week? Because that's ultimately going to be the biggest part here, right? If the Rams play like this yeah. against Tampa Bay, I think they can beat Tampa Bay. I really do. But I do will too. we it's, see them do that two weeks in a row? It's going to be so much tougher against that offensive line, though, Jeff. Like it, it, We've seen the the Cardinals' offensive line struggle all year long. If if the Bucks remain healthy, and, and by healthy I mean if Tristan Wirfs is able to go, if he's, if he's anywhere near – uh, you know, game shape to play. That's that's one of the hardest O lines to get penetration against. It's one of the toughest O lines to to, to to contend with. Period. I don't care if you're if you're Aaron Donald and them, but yeah, but not to take away from the offensive line there because you're right, they are really good. A huge piece of that is how quickly Brady gets the ball out. Yeah, true. Right. So yeah. you're kind of accounting for that anyway. What you want is to make Brady feel uncomfortable. Right. It, it is to make him is to knock him off his mark by a half a second. So he gets the ball out a half a second later. And the Eagles actually did a pretty good job of that in, in certain points in, in the first half of that game against Tampa Bay. And, and Brady came out rusty and took a couple of bad sacks. And, and now you're going up against a much better D line. The Eagles didn't have Josh Sweat on Sunday either, who's arguably their best pass rusher. So you're not going to put Aaron Donald. And we've always talked about what's the key to stopping Brady, right, is, is to get pressure with just your front four. And to get pressure from the interior defensive, you know, part of the defensive line, that's what the Rams do best. And then you let Jalen Ramsey lead that secondary and and shut down the passing game, which they're not going to be able to shut it down, but at least you're going to be able to put Jalen Ramsey on Mike Evans, you know. I think it's going to be wild too with Vaughn coming off the outside. There's going to be a lot of a lot of things that we're probably going to see defensively that are creative from the Rams this this weekend. Um, But I am I am definitely looking forward to what we're going to see um, on that side and then flip it. I think, I mean, just, just think about this, Tom Brady versus Jalen Ramsey, Von Miller and Aaron Donald. Like those are all some of the biggest names in football, right? Then you flip it and you have some of the most underrated guys, Devin white uh, Stafford really right. Cooper cup is, is finally getting the recognition he deserves this year. Rightfully so. But even Odell people have said like, he's, he's done. He's kind of, you know, his, his best days are behind him. Maybe that's the case, but like, <clears throat> I would argue that people, like we talked about earlier, people said about Randy Moss before he got to the Patriots. And then he set season records consistently, like, like the whole year mm-hmm. he set receptions, touchdowns, yards. So like it can, it can, or I'm sorry, just touchdown receptions, but either way, like that can happen. You can have career and even, you know, um, I guess, positional record uh, seasons after people think you're done. So I'm not putting it past Odell and, and this whole offense you know to to do what they can in the cam acres and and all these things like i would love to see this team against the bucks defense who actually has a lot of guys who can cover in space as versatile as cooper cup is i mean think about some of the guys that that tampa has on d so it, it's going to be really fun with whitehead and everything it, it'll, it'll be a good it'll be a good matchup agreed i think it's gonna be a lot of fun uh and, and look they just dominated this game from start to finish uh, I see that game. We'll do our breakdowns on Friday, but I see that game going blowout in one way or the other. I, I, for whatever reason, I don't see this being a close. It's either going to be Matt Stafford choking 
or the Rams laying the wood. And, uh, and look with Tom Brady, you can never count them out, but you know, we'll, we'll see uh, obviously this weekend, how that ultimately plays out. Uh, the other team here is the Cardinals who, again, just disappointing season and Kyler Murray was bad in this game and it wasn't even just an injury thing. It was just, he was bad. I mean, obviously the, the pick six, you can't do. Um, no, that'll lose you a game right there. And it was yeah. right at the start. And I think that's when everyone was like, yeah. oh, shoot. And they had <laughs> made it 28 nothing. Yeah. They had four drives or four of their 11 total drives, I think it was, that were positive yards. Four. And that includes the, the two inter- drives that ended in an interception. Yeah. Um, that, that's, you can't, that's insane to me. And so the question do that. I think for the Cardinals, no, you can't do that. The question for the Cardinals, and we saw it all year because the first half of the year was what got them to the playoffs. They were 10 and 0 for Christ's sake. Um, and then Tyler gets hurt in that, in that Thursday game, Deandre goes out. So the big question is not your star power, but your depth, even in this game, Buda Baker goes out with the concussion and we see the secondary just getting absolutely torched for the Cardinals. So you need depth, man. That's the, that's been the biggest issue for the Cardinals this season. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm pulling up the Cardinals, you know, season here. You know, if you include that, they had, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six losses. So they finished their regular season going uh, after starting off, what was it, eight and one? one Ten and zero. Oh. Or eight. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. No, they were seven and zero. Oh. Because they lost to the Packers. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, but still, they go below 500 the rest of the way. Um, and look, a lot of that had to do with Kyler getting hurt, you know, like, like you can't discredit that, but that also comes back to what the, the Kyler Murray thing is altogether. You know, I've seen so many people talking about like, has, is this the ceiling that Cliff Kingsbury can, can take the Cardinals? I think, is this the ceiling of what uh, Kyler Murray can do? Because physically, I just don't see how he's going to be able to hold up for a whole season. And then by the time they get to the finish line, He's limping around trying his best to hold on to wins and 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 at least keep them in there. And he's afraid to run. I mean, that's what we saw. Well, we saw a quarterback who is a run, it can be a running quarterback who is afraid to run because he's trying to protect himself. And when he's solely a passer, I don't know if Kyler Murray is going to get you much more than you know individual stats and and look good seasons, right? 11 and 6 isn't a bad season, but there's a there's a cap to it. And I wonder if maybe unless things change and whether that's the coaching staff or whether that's investing in the offensive line, I don't know how, how it gets better, you know, with, with Kyler because he, by halfway through the season, his body just breaks down. Yeah. Yeah. And he, like, like I said, to the depth part, he's a huge part of that because uh, granted you, you get, uh, Oh God, <laughs> who came in? What was the quarterback that came in in relief for him? That played two Cole games. McCoy. He beat the Niners. Cole McCoy, thank you. I don't know why I couldn't remember his name. Cole McCoy comes in and beats the Niners, who were a playoff team, and then hits the bed the next game. And we're, we're desperately waiting for Kyler to come back if you're an Arizona fan. But then even then, you got Chandler Jones, who was injured for most of the year. Uh, the defensive line was strong, but the depth was, was lacking. James Conner is a free agent, and when he was hurt uh, – and banged up, you were relying on on Eno Benjamin and and jeez, uh, uh, I'm drawing blanks now on the on the running backs uh, in Arizona. Um, Connor, 
Uh, no, James Conner, and then who's the other one? Um, I mean, uh, Chase Edmonds was the other. Chase starter, Edmonds, but, thank you. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, so the depth, the depth is a major issue. Uh, again, Buda Baker in this game going out and the the secondary getting torched. I mean, and the game uh, was pretty much over by then anyway. But you're yeah, right; but, like the the depth is 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 a huge issue to me. But they have skill guys, even when they have injuries to D Hop and some of those other guys outside. It's the offensive line. You know, yeah. that that's where you 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 have just no support. And and after starting off seven and oh, they finished four and seven for the rest of the season. And yeah, a few of those games, two of those losses came from Colt McCoy, but even if you take those out, that means you know, Kyler Murray finishes four and five. And and not only that, like bad losses in that stretch. Uh, you know, the the Panthers had Colt McCoy, but it's the Rams, right? We know that game. Uh, the Lions, the Colts, the Seahawks there at the end of the season. Um, and, and then obviously the Rams again. And only one of those games is really competitive. And, you know, the Colts, they made it close at the end. But you take out D-Hop, you know, it's crazy that we talked about all the different wide receivers and all the weapons that they had. The leading wide receiver for the Cardinals this year was Christian Kirk. 982 yards. Great season wow. for him. Yeah, But when you have A.J. Green and Rondell Moore and the two running backs and obviously DeAndre Hopkins, Christian Kirk ends up being the main guy on this team and almost has a 1,000 yards wide receiver season. Um, I just – I don't know how much further Arizona can go. And if you start off 7-0 and and you've had good starts the last couple of years and then you fall off the you know on the back end because Kyler gets dinged up and then he's not quite the same the rest of the year – you know, that's a part of football, but it's going to happen a lot more to a guy like Kyler Murray than it is, um, is anyone else. So we'll see. Um, that's all we got. We'll be back on Friday, the one-year anniversary of the Read Option Podcast on Friday. Uh, and, and we'll get into some stuff about that, recap our first year, but also get you ready for the divisional round of the NFL playoffs and a fantastic slate of games. So Boys, it was a pleasure to have the whole crew back. It's been far too long, and we'll do it again in a couple days. For Scotty, for Vito, I'm Jeff. Have a wonderful rest of your week, and we will talk to you guys on Friday. Take it easy, everybody.